Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord? Today we're looking in uh, the 119th Psalm, Psalm 119, and uh, we're going to read verses 103 through 105. We're reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Psalm uh, 119 began reading with verse number 103. The psalmist writes, and he says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Father, we thank you for your incredible, your infallible, uh, Father, your miraculous word. God, I just pray today, Lord, that your anointing will rest upon God, the message and upon, Lord, the messenger, Lord, today. God, I pray that you'll give us ears today upon our heart. Father, let us, let us hear your word. But God, I pray we will not just be hearers of your word today, but, but God, I pray that you will also help us to become doers of your word. Father, we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, I have declared the year 2017 be the year of the Bible because I believe that God wants us to focus on his word this year. I'm challenging all of us to read the entire Bible this year. Uh, Now, there are various ways to do it, whether you choose a Bible reading plan or just start in Genesis and read straight through through the book of the Revelation, whatever is your choice but, but, but the main goal is not to get you through the Bible, but to get the Bible through you. Now, we are presently in a, in a five-week series on what, what, what we should do with the Bible. And we're making an acrostic out of the word Bible. And with each letter of this word, I'm challenging you in what you should do with God's word. The, the, the first message and with, with, the, with the letter B our, our first challenge was to believe it. What should we do with the Bible? First of all, we should, we should believe it. For the letter I, our second challenge was to, was to inhale it, to inhale it. Well, today for the second B in the word Bible, my challenge to you today is build your life on it. See, God's word is like, a, like the owner's manual of a car. The uh, owner's manual tells you uh, how to care for, it tells you how to maintain your automobile. It gives you specific instructions that, that, that if you follow those specific instructions, it will ensure uh, that your car will, 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 will go a lot more miles and have a whole lot less major repairs and be much more dependable if you will, if you will do what is prescribed uh, in the owner's manual. Well, the same is true Uh, with God's Word. God's Word is an owner's manual. God's Word has specific instructions on on every detail of life. And I believe this morning that people who maintain their lives by following the instructions of God's owner's manual, I believe they will be happier, I believe they will be healthier, and I believe they will be holier. See, see, the truth of the matter is you simply cannot please God without living your life according to his 
word. So, so what is the challenge today? My challenge today is build your life on God's word. Well, I'm going to suggest three reasons, this, reasons why this morning you should build your life on God's word. First of all, because it's practical. Practical. Now, my favorite parts of the Bible are the practical parts. And that's just part of my personality. My, my wife says that I'm the most practical person she has ever met. Well, I want to point out three practical areas that the Bible addresses. First of all, I, I want to suggest, first of all, this morning that God's Word is a leadership book. No, leadership is a hot topic uh, these days. Uh, matter of fact, if you go into the bookstore, you'll find that there'll be an entire section devoted to, to, uh, to leadership. Book after book, row after row after row of books on, on leadership. I am constantly reading leadership books. And my wife asked me, do you not read anything besides leadership books? I love leadership. I love to read about leadership. I like to hear about leadership. I, I love to teach leadership. The truth of the matter is the Bible is the ultimate leadership book. It is absolutely filled with leadership principles. And Jesus, Jesus was the greatest leader ever. And if you want to be a successful leader, all you need to do is study the life of Jesus. Because if you will study the life of Jesus and if you will implement the things that Jesus did, uh, you will become an incredible Incredible leader. Let me, let me just, uh, just for instance this morning, let me, let me pull from just one simple story of Jesus. Seven leadership lessons. Seven leadership lessons from just one simple story about Jesus. It's a very familiar story. It's one that we've all heard a thousand times. We started out hearing about it in, in, in children's ministry. It's found in the book of Mark, chapter number 6. The book of Mark, chapter number 6, began reading with 30, verse 34 and read down and include verse 44. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It says, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered, and he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And those who had eaten that day were, had eaten the five loaves and the two fish that day were about 5,000 men. 
I want to just pull seven leadership lessons from this one little story, emphasizing the fact, emphasizing the, the fact of the practicality of the Word of God and that God's Word is a leadership book. The first lesson I want us to see is found in verse number 35. And the lesson is in times of crisis, people look for a leader. Verse 35, when, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him. His disciples came to him. So in times of crisis, people look for a leader. Obviously, obviously, Jesus had already established himself as a leader because in the time of crisis or when the need arose, they knew who to go to. Second leadership lesson we can find in this little story is in times of crisis, true leaders lead. See, see, the most obvious sign of leadership in people is that they lead. And Jesus led. Jesus took charge of the situation. The third leadership lesson that, that we can learn from this little story is in times of crisis, leaders involve others. We find that in verse number 37. Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. See, 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 the best leaders only do what only they can do. See, see, good leaders, the best leaders, they don't do everything. You see somebody doing everything and say, wow, they're really a, they're really a good leader. No, they're really not a very good leader because, because, because good leaders uh, uh, involve others. And the best leaders only do what only they can do. They delegate the rest to, to qualified and reliable people. Jesus said to his 12 disciples, he said, you give them something to eat. Jesus said to them, you do something. Jesus said to them, don't expect me to do everything for you. And later in the story, in verse 41, it says that Jesus gave the bread and the fish to the disciples. And the Bible said the disciples, not Jesus, gave it to the people. Jesus only did what only he could do. Everything else he delegated. Everything else he had the disciples do. The fourth leadership lesson that we can find in this little story is in times of crisis, leaders gather all their resources together. You find that in verse number 30, 38. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't look outside the situation for resources. He looked within the situation. Now, the disciples who were followers at the time, uh, they, were, they were talking about going somewhere else and buying something. They were, they were talking about looking outside the parameters of the situation. But Jesus, being the leader that he was, Jesus didn't look outside the situation for resources. He looked within the situation because in times of crisis, Leaders will gather all of their resources together. Let me tell you that God will always work with us with what we already have. He will always work with us with all, what we already have. Usually, usually we take what we don't have and use that as an excuse as to why we're not going to do this or that or anything else. Listen, listen, God doesn't, it, it doesn't require that we have everything we need. It simply needs, it simply takes the fact that we're willing to, to, to gather the resources that we have uh, and use what we have because God will always use what we already have. The solution to the situation can always be found within the parameters of the situation. 
The fifth leadership lesson that we can learn in this little story is in times of crisis, leaders take the big picture and they break it down into manageable snapshots. They take the big picture and they break the big picture down into manageable snapshots. You find that in verse 39 and verse number 40. Jesus commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. See, 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 the big picture can be overwhelming. Another account of this story, Andrew says to Jesus, you know, you know, uh, Jesus, we've got, a, we've got five loaves and we've got two fish, but what are they among so many? When, when we look at the big picture as a whole, uh, it can become intimidating and, and, and hard to manage. But, but in times of crisis, leaders take the big picture and they break it down into manageable snapshots. The big picture, as I said, can be overwhelming. 5,000 families. Can you imagine that sea of people there? Can you imagine how overwhelming it must have been for the disciples to look over that vast crowd? 5,000 families. That means fifteen to 20,000 people. But, but groups of 50s and groups of, fi- of 100 uh, are much less intimidating and much more manageable. Obviously, Jesus knew how to eat an elephant. How to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. The sixth uh, leadership lesson we find here, and that is in times of crisis, godly godly leaders know who their source is. We find that in verse number 41. The Bible said that when Jesus had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He looked where? He looked up to heaven. He blessed and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them, among them all. In times of crisis, godly leaders know who their source is. Jesus, the Bible said, took, took what he had. Took what he had. All he had was five loaves and two fish, but he took what he had. And he lifted up what he had, and he lifted it up toward heaven. And he asked his heavenly Father to bless what he had. He didn't grumble and complain about what he didn't have, but he took what he did have, and he held it up, and he said, Lord, I need your blessing on what I have. I would encourage you today to stop grumbling and complaining about what you do not have. Look around and gather your resources together and see how what God has given to you and take whatever God has given to you and lift it up before God and offer it to God and say, God, I'll give you what I have. All I've got is five loaves and two fish. I don't have very much, but God, what I do have, God, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to ask your blessing on what I have. Jesus knew where to go go for help. He knew who the source of every blessing was. And then the seventh leadership lesson, and I love this one, that is in times of crisis, leaders provide an object lesson for their followers. And we find this in verse number 43. The Bible says, so they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. How many baskets full? How many? How many? How many disciples were there? 
I don't think it was a coincidence that there were 12 disciples and there were 12 baskets of food left over. I don't think that is coincidence. I think Jesus has a purpose for every single thing that he does. I don't think it's coincidence that there's 12 disciples and there's 12 baskets of food. I believe that is a basket of food to set before each of the doubting disciples as a reminder of what can be done when you invite God into your crisis and what can be done when you offer him everything you have. Well, why should we build our life on the Bible? Well, first of all, because it's practical. It's practical, but not only is the Bible a leadership book, but God's Word is a lover's manual. A lover's manual. Listen, if you, if you want some X-rated reading, read the Song of Solomon. And if you're reading through the Bible with your children, you may skip the Song of Solomon. How many know that God's Word is filled with advice for lovers? See, see, God is the one who gave man his desires. God is the one that gave man his passions. The Bible is filled with practical admonition and guidance to enhance this area as well as every area of our life. And we also need to understand that God has some very, very specific rules and God has some very specific regulations in this area as well. But not only is the Bible a leadership book, not only is it a lover's manual, but God's Word is a laborer's handbook. The book of Proverbs has a lot of sound wisdom and advice for both employer and employee. God's Word is a very practical book. In the the book of Proverbs, it tells us how to get promoted. In the book of Proverbs, it tells us how to set up our business for success. Listen, people who work in the HR department of a company would do well to read and study the book of Proverbs. So would every boss that has employees. So would every employee that works for a boss. Because the Word of God tells an employee how they are to treat and respect their boss. But it also tells every boss how they are to respect and how they are to treat every employee. Why should we build our lives on the Word of God? Well, first of all, we should, we should build our lives on the Word of God because it is, it is practical. If you can get beyond the these and the doubts, if you, will, if you will read it, if you will study it, if you will ask God uh, to, to, to open the to book to, to your understanding, I'm telling you there's some very practical, practical things that will help us in how to live our life. Another reason why we should build our life on the the Word of God is because it is preventive. It's preventive. Psalm 119, verse 98 through 100 says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies because they are my constant guide. It goes on to say, I have more insight than my teachers. Why? Because I am always thinking of your law. It says, I am even wiser than my elders. Why? Because I have kept your commandments. How many would agree with me this morning that it's smart to go to the doctor when you're sick? My wife just gave me a dirty look. Because I don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. 
It's smart to go to the doctor when you're sick. But how many would understand that it's wise? Although it's smart to go to the doctor when you're sick, yet it is wise to do smart things. Like eat right, exercise, get plenty of sleep, reduce stress, uh, keep your weight under control, and other smart things that help us stay well and not get sick as often. It's smart to go to the doctor when you're sick, but it's wise to do smart things that will help us stay out of the doctor's office more often. It's smart to do preventive things that keep us from getting sick. Let me suggest to you today that God's Word is preventive medicine. And I believe that people who ingest God's Word and endeavor to flesh it out are much more likely to avoid the many pitfalls that most people fall into. I want to suggest two things here. And the first one is, and that is that God's word warns us. God's word warns us. Now, my vehicle warns me when I get too close to something. If I get very close to anything, my vehicle starts beeping at me. Beep, 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 beep. And that is a warning to me that I'm about to back into something or I'm about to sideswipe something. That's a a warning to me to let me know that I don't need to get any closer than I already am and that I probably need to back away a little bit. Well, I want to suggest to you today that God's Word does the very same thing to us. It warns us. It tries to prevent us from getting too close to something that could damage our life. For example, it warns us about, about people with improper motives. Tells us to be aware of them and it tells us to stay away from them. The Bible warns us about unethical behavior and it gives us the consequences for unethical behavior. It, it warns us about the dangers of flirting with someone that we're not married to. It warns us about the devil. It warns us that, uh, about his plan to destroy our lives. It, it warns us about the, about the wrath of God and his impending and the impending punishment on sin and, and sinners. All, all of these warnings and countless more, all for the sake of preventing us from self-destruction. Amen. Amen. Not only does God's word uh, warn us, but also God's word provides us with wisdom. Wisdom is so important that God dedicated an entire book of the Bible to it. It's called the book of Proverbs. And if you've not discovered the book of Proverbs, I would encourage you to discover the book of Proverbs. And to read the book of Proverbs. In fact, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. I believe that's on there, there on purpose. There's 31 days in the longest month of our year. My challenge to you is no matter what else you read in the Bible, read a chapter out of the book of Proverbs every single day corresponding with the day of, the week, of, of that month. So on the third of the month, I'm reading the book of, of Proverbs chapter 3. On the 12th of the month, I'm reading the, along with my other Bible reading, I'm, book, I'm reading the entire book, uh, or the entire chapter 12 of the book of Proverbs. On, on day 27 of the month, I'm reading my regular reading, but I'm reading the entire uh, chapter, uh, uh, 27th chapter of the book of, of Proverbs. I've been doing this now for 40 years. 
Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 11 say, Pastor, why would you do that? Because Proverbs chapter 8 and verse number 11 says, nothing can be compared to wisdom. What can be compared to wisdom? According to this scripture, wisdom is the most valuable thing in this life. There's nothing more valuable in life than wisdom. So I ask you this morning, if wisdom is the most valuable thing in the world, don't you think it would be smart to get some? You say, Pastor, how do we get, how do we get wisdom? Well, thank you for asking, and I'm going to give you the answer. There are three ways to get wisdom. First of all, you can ask God to give you some. James chapter 1 and verse number 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask God for some, and he will give you some, and he will not punish you for asking. How do you get wisdom? Well, first of all, you just ask the Lord for wisdom. You just say, God, I need wisdom. God, give me some of your wisdom. I've made that a daily prayer for over 40 years. Second way you can get wisdom is you can borrow some. You can borrow some wisdom from someone that has wisdom that you do not have. Wisdom in an area that you don't have wisdom in. You can borrow some. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, he who walks with the wise will be wise. So if you need some wisdom, you need to find some wise people and you need to hang out with them a little bit. You need to pick their brain. You need to borrow some. The third way that you can get wisdom is you can read God's Word and especially read the book of of Proverbs. I've already said that I read a chapter out of the book of Proverbs every single day. I have for over 40 years now. You say, Pastor, why hasn't it worked for you? And I say, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Just think how dumb I would be if I hadn't filled my heart with wisdom from the wisdom book every day for 40 years. God's Word provides us with wisdom. And when we apply this wisdom to our life, it prevents a lot of heartache. And it prevents a lot of bad choices. And it prevents a lot of unnecessary Pain. A lot of people going through pain today are going through pain because of poor choices. And the reason they made poor choices was because they didn't use wisdom. Here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. People of wisdom thrive anywhere you put them. People that have wisdom will thrive any place, any situation, any circumstance. Wherever you put them, people of wisdom will thrive anywhere you put them. Here's what I've also, I've also noticed, and that is people who lack wisdom, people who do not seek wisdom tend to struggle anywhere you put them. My admonition today is build your life on the Bible. Live according to its laws and its instruction. Why? Why? Because it's practical. Why? Because it is, it is preventive. Why? Number three, because it is profound. It is profound. Psalm 143, or excuse me, Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord. It says, No one can measure his greatness. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33 says, Oh, how great are God's riches and how great are God, is God's wisdom and knowledge. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8 said, Paul said, I should preach among the Gentiles the endless treasures available in Christ. God's word is profound. It's deep. It's piercing. It's prophetic. It's instructive. 
Let me suggest three things here. Number one, God, first of all, God's Word tells us what to do. God's Word tells us what to do. You can find direction for anything and everything in life. You can find it in this book. You can find it in the Bible. Amen. Now, in some things, the Bible is very specific. And it gives detailed information. For other, other things, we must depend upon our understanding of the principles of the Bible for direction. That's why we don't need to just pick and choose what we read in the Bible. That's why we need to read all of the Bible. That's why we need to have a good understanding of the Bible from Genesis throughout the book of the Revelation because there are some things the Bible is very specific and gives specific instructions on. There's other things that come up in our life that we're going to have to depend upon our overall knowledge of the teaching and training of the Word of God and the principles contained in the Word of God uh, in order to have direction for that specific thing in our life. Either way, whether it's specific or, or general principles, God's Word tells us what to do. You know, you know often people, they, they pray about something and it appears to them that God isn't listening or at least uh, God isn't answering them when in reality there was no need to pray about it in the first place because God had already given them the answer in His Word. Some of you are praying about something and you're wondering why you're not getting an answer from God and the reason why you're not getting a, an answer from God is is because God has already given you the answer in his book. You don't need to pray about what God has given specific direction for in his book. For example, don't pray and ask God uh, if you should divorce your spouse and marry the person you're having the affair with. And I've actually heard people say, God told me to divorce my wife and to marry this other person. I don't know whose voice you're listening to, but it's not God's voice. Don't, don't, don't pray and ask God if you should divorce your spouse and, and marry the person that you're having the affair with. God won't even answer you there. Why? Because he has already given you an answer. He's already answered that question in his, in his book. And let me tell you, the answer in his book is No. And by the way, God is saying to somebody today, what part of no do you not understand? But not only does God's word tell us what we should do, God's word also tells us why we should do it. See, God's word provides us with what the, what the promises are for us if we obey it, as well as what the punishment is if we disobey it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. And Jesus said, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and, and the winds beat against, against it, that house will not collapse because it is built on the rock. But he went on to say, anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person that builds his house on the sand. Jesus said, when the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Why should we build our life on God's word? Because it is profound. It tells us what we should do. It tells us why we should do it. And God's word tells us when we should do it. I mean, no, timing is everything. 
You know, you can do the right thing at the wrong time, and even though it is the right thing to do, yet only when the right thing is done at the right time, only then will it be successful. So we need to read God's Word and see how often God gave His people explicit instructions that not only contain the what, not only contain the why, but also contain the when. Let me just help you this morning. If you, are, if you are seeking God about something specific, don't just pray about it. I didn't say don't pray about it. I said don't just pray about it. If you are seeking specific uh, direction in your life, don't just pray about it. Pray about it, yes, but don't just pray about it. And don't just go from person to person seeking a word. Heard about a lady that went to her pastor and said, Pastor, do you have a word for me? And he handed her the Bible, and she got mad at him. (laughs) If you're seeking God about something specific, don't just pray about it, and don't just go from person to person seeking a word. Go to the word. Say the word. Go to the word. Open up the word. Read the word. Search the word. Listen, listen. More often than not, guidance for our lives will come through the word, not a word. And here's what I know for absolute certain this morning, and that is the word is much more reliable than a word. Now, now, am I opposed to getting a word? Absolutely not. Just make sure when you get a word, when somebody says they have a word for you, or you get a word from somebody, just make sure that when you receive a word from somebody, make sure that a, that their, that a word lines up with the word. And let me tell you what, it's, what, what has happened to me in, 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 in my life. And I've discovered that anytime I get a word, I've already received word from God. And the, the word that I get from somebody else is just confirmation of what God has already said to me. And I'm telling you that if somebody gives me a word and I've not heard of, from God, first of all, uh, you know, first of all, I'm going to put that on the back burner and I'm not sure about that. And it's going to take a whole lot of convincing to convince me because I don't think God needs an interpreter. I think that God can speak directly to me. He doesn't need to send somebody to speak for him. I think he can speak to me. And so before God speaks to me through somebody else, I believe that God speaks to me directly. And then when God speaks to me directly and I find confirmation in his word, then if somebody gives me a word and it, and it corresponds with that word that God's already given me, it con- corresponds with the word of God, then I'll receive that word. Let me think that's pretty good teaching right there. Let me just challenge you this morning. Anytime you receive a word that contradicts the word, reject it. Because the word trumps a word 100% of the time. What percentage? So for the letter B in our acrostic of the word Bible today, build your life on it. Why? Because it is so practical. So practical. Everything we need to know about marriage, we can find in the Bible. Everything we need to know about how to handle our finances, we can find it in the Bible. What we need to know about how to parent our children can be found in the Bible. How we, how we need to run our business, we can find it in, in the Bible. Uh, how we should do church, we can find it in the Bible. God's Word is a very practical, practical book, so we need to get our nose in the book. It will help us live a better life. 
Why should we build our life on the Word of God? It's practical. Number two, because it's preventive. Preventive. Listen, listen. the Word of God is full of stuff that tell, uh, of thou shalt not. It tells us don't do this or that or something else. That's not God being mean to us. That's not God restricting us because He doesn't want us to have any fun. That is God preventing us from heartache. It's preventing us from struggle. It's preventing us from loss. God loves us so much that He tells us how to live our life that was, in, a, in a way and in a measure and a means whereby uh, we can live with the most victory that is possible. Why should I build my life on the Word of God? Third of all, because it is profound. It is profound. So because God's Word is practical, preventive, and profound, we need to read it, and we need to study it, and we need to consume it. We need to believe it. We need to inhale it. We need to build our life on it. If I could get some help on the platform this morning. The takeaway. The takeaway of the Word this morning. The takeaway for the teaching today is this. And by the way, these are the, these are the fill-in-blanks that I didn't fill in last week. So if you were worried about those words, here they are again. God's Word is not just meant to inform us, but to transform us. God's Word is not just meant to inform us, but to transform us. If you read the Word of God, it will inform you. Only when you act upon the word of God will it transform you. Can we stand in his presence today? Father, again, we are so grateful. We are so thankful, Father, for your your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is. It is a light unto our path. Oh, God, these five weeks, Lord, it's all about, it's all about, Lord, creating Creating a desire, Father. Creating a desire in your people, God, to to consume your word. God, to make reading your word and studying your word a priority. Realizing how valuable that your word is to our lives. God, I pray today you'll help us today. Holy Spirit, would you do your work? Holy Spirit, would you put a hunger? Would you put a desire? Would you put a thirst in the heart of of the people of God to, to consume your word.